Hello, this is Denise from Women Beyond a Certain Age. I'm, I'm over the top because my guest today is, I, I love him, I admire him. He's a hero to me, David Leet. Now, we met, I think we actually met David through Diane Jacob, or I had known of you beforehand, but we met each other finally at IACP one year. Exactly, you were doing a conference. I a was. presentation. I was doing a presentation with your dear Renee, and the reason why it was a funny presentation is the minute I got there, I thought, oh my God, they've taken me out of the rest home, because <laughs> all yes. the women I was speaking with- They were all 12 years old. Yeah, they were 12, and here I was, and I thought, okay, just shut up. I've got more insurance. So anyway, that's <laughs> when we met, but I need to share something with David. David wrote a, David has written a cookbook that, I finally got to Portugal and I realized how valuable your book was. I was well, so, you. so valuable. And David has won a James Beard Award for his website, Leeds mm -hmm. Culinaria. Now, if this is news to any of you, because we have a very, very varied audience, you need to go check that out because it's a beautiful website and has valuable resource to people. But David's here today because I would love, David, for you to talk about two people about when you wrote your memoir, mm -hmm. how you, I mean, literally, first of all, why did you think you could do it? And then when it happened, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And your parents who played a very big role in it were still alive. Yeah. How did you do that? <laughs> well, you know, I didn't know or think that I could do it. Oh, how it's, yes, it, Exactly. I did not think that I was setting out to write a memoir. What happened was I wrote a blog post called Bipolar Disorder and Julia Child, My Therapist. I love it. That was the name of it. And what it was, it talked about those times when I was a kid and I came home from school and I, I was so depressed. I didn't realize that I was so depressed back then. I didn't know that's what depression was because no one talked about it in the 1960s and 1970s, yeah. right? And I remember lying on the floor and my mother would be ironing my father's underwear. And I'd be lying on the floor and she would have, she had a, a spray gun and she'd spray the underwear and then she'd spray me a little bit. And that sort of waft of that, uh, of the spray and then watching Julia, everything stopped for a while. All of the crazy galloping horses in my head stopped. So I wrote a blog post about that. The response was tremendous. Uh -huh. Everybody responded. And now there was a big discussion internally. Now, my partner, Alan, said, don't do it because you're going to lose people. They're, they know you as a as, food person. Yeah, and the very together food person. Yeah, exactly. And so you're going to lose all these people. And so it was for Julia's 100th birthday uh, celebration, so I decided not to do it. Then I decided a year or two later I did it. And the response was immense. And I was getting things like, uh, you know, this explains so much about my wife, explains so much about my husband. But one of them that I think it was an email to me said, I wish my son had read this before he killed himself. Oh, oh, David. And I realized that there's something that I need to share with people. I need to tell people really a bit about my story. And so I talked to my agent and it was originally going to be essays, just a collection of essays and some sad, some funny. Yeah. And then when we started talking about it, she said, I think you have to tell the whole story. Now, mm -hmm. not many people write memoirs from age five to age 50 something, but gotcha. I ended up, I had to do it because it talked about uh, taking 37 years to find out that I was bipolar, dealing and grappling with being gay, and also the idea of, of grappling and dealing with being a Portuguese person 
I you know, know, so those are the three tenets of the book, if you will, or the three columns. And the Portuguese things, people now, because Portugal is so famous and fabulous and everyone loves it. Yes. But growing up, you know, we were called really terrible names. Oh. And, and, you know, we were, we were on the, we were on the outs. We weren't, you know, we weren't, we weren't the people to be. And I would hear all these things. And plus, when I'd look on the television, I wouldn't see anybody who looked like me. No. I didn't see people eating octopus. I didn't see people eating carnassava. I didn't see people eating blood sausage. I know. We didn't exist. So I had a lot of internalized shame. So I had to work through, it's about accepting that, accepting being gay, and accepting being bipolar. And how can I use those to kind of create a unique life? And that's how it all kind of came about. I love that so much and i of course david growing up in 1951 you know mm -hmm. being born and then growing up in the 50s see we were isolated because in san francisco it was italians and the chinese i mean mm -hmm. you walk. That, that's who i thought lived <laughs> right <laughs> and then we moved to marin county and then when i started school and my name was so hard for people to pronounce vivaldo mm -hmm. you know my family was and the, I mean, and at one point, seriously, still in high school, I'm dating this geeky white guy that I'm crazy in love with. And when I got to the school dance, he had put my name on the list and it had come out Bernice Revolver. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll never forget it because it, it was shame. I just thought, why can't, and my best friend had, her name was like Debbie Smith. Of course. And I thought, and she had blonde hair, and I thought, mm -hmm. why can't I be that? Yes. So yes. I know exactly what you mean. And then my grandfather, of course, who I miss every moment of the day, but my grandparents spoke in broken English. Mm -hmm. And I know exactly what you mean, because there was a certain amount of, you know, angst. Yes. Yeah, because you know that you were the object of people's ire. You know, they, even and back then, they felt, you know, things. they felt the, the immigrants were taking the jobs and all that stuff. So we, it was very difficult. And I remember always wanting to be blonde hair and blue eyed. Of and course. Be the, the, the adopted son of Darren and, uh, Darren and Samantha Stevens on Bewitched. That's all I wanted. I didn't want Adam. I think Adam was their son. Didn't want Adam to exist. I wanted Tabitha to be my sister. And that's all I wanted. One of my dearest friends, who's Italian, and unfortunately really did have a mustache, and but she, <laughs> her parents had a little money, so she got that taken care of early. She used to have a picture of Cary Grant and Grace Kelly in a frame in her bedroom. And when people would come over, they would say, who is that? She goes, oh, those are my parents. My parents. Yep. Oh, the shame, the shame some of us really had. It's terrible, isn't it? Now, I'm not sure I told everybody, the name of David's memoir is Notes on a Banana. Mm -hmm. And you have to tell the crowd why it's called that. Okay. Why it's named that. Well, ever since I was a kid, and even before that, my father would go, my father loved bananas. And when he'd go to work, my mom would write a note on a banana. She'd say, Manny, I love you, or whatever it was. And it would go in his lunchbox. And all the guys would razz him about, oh, his wife is riding on a banana. And then very early on, at my spot, right here at this particular uh, counter that I'm sitting at, I'm at her home right now, would be a banana. And on one end would say, we love you. The other one, other side would say, God bless you. And in the middle part, like that real big real estate part, related to whatever was going on that particular day. So do well on your test, break a lake tonight in the, the oh. drama club. Uh, and I call it social media of the 1960s. I mean, that's yeah. what it really was. Yeah. And, and so it just became notes on a banana. 
And then I thought, well, you know, notes on a banana, people use pejoratively the idea of banana as someone who has mental illness. And I thought notes on someone with mental illness is great. Ah. Very funny. Notes on a banana, bananas food. I thought, how great is that? And so it just seemed like a really apt title. And so I love it. I love that. I, I hadn't thought, of course, people would say, oh, he's gone bananas. Exactly. Oh, okay. I love the story that your mother wrote notes on the banana and put them in because she loved her baby boy. Yes, she did. And she still did. does. I know. <laughs> does. So when you realized that there was this great outpouring mm -hmm. and you were going to have to write this with your agent, you're going to have to write this book. Because I always say to people who have not published before, honey, it's like most jobs. It's the day you get the gig and the day you're done with the gig. You're completely right. All the middle stuff is a blur. All the middle stuff is like you are just treading water, hoping oh not to God. drown. Absolutely. So Absolutely. how long we've had, we recently had our mutual friend, Diane Jacob on, because mm -hmm. David, we like to, we're kind of doing theme things where we run them week after week together. Sure. So tell us your process. So you had some essays. How did you all of a sudden get to do this. The book. Well, my agent, when we realized that it needed to be an actual narrative, yes. um, she said, sit down and I just need you to outline the entire book. And I'm going, oh, no, I'm not doing that. I just I, I'll just wing it. I'm not outlining a book. And she said, oh, no, no, no. You're going to outline the book. So I had to go from age five to age 55, I think it was. And I didn't know how to do this. You know, most memoirs are just a small section, a summer of your life or yes. four years yes. of high school or something. It ended up being much larger. So what I did was I sat down, I got a big stack of, um, uh, of index cards and whatever memory I had, I just wrote down, you know, oh, um, watching the house of wax and having a panic attack, wrote it down. And if I knew the year and age, because I'm very good about year and ages, I'd write them down in each corner, the upper left and upper right. And I just, I just was spitting them out for like a couple of weeks. And then I started putting them in order. And once I had them in order, I realized that there was some sort of a shape there. And I took things out that didn't make sense. And then I just started breaking them down into what could be chapters and then I just wrote down that information, just a couple of lines on each chapter page, each chapter page. And then eventually I had to start filling it out. And then my, my agent said, tell me the story. You don't, you know, start out with each chapter with maybe like a page of, of, of real detailed dialogue or description, and then tell me the rest of what happens. And I did 11 or 12 revisions on that, on wow. that proposal. Wow. And it was an extraordinary it was an extraordinary accomplishment for me and when i was done i thought oh i'm i'm hot shit this is terrific i've done this and then when it was picked up i think in a matter of like a week and a half um by day street which is part of harper collins I remember celebrating and we were at a restaurant and my agent, we had champagne and my partner Alan's there and we're ordering food. And then the next morning I got up and I thought, I have to write this. I have got to write 120,000 words and I don't know how to do that because the longest thing I've ever written was 6,000 words. How am I going to do this? I understand. And so I just, I really thought I'm going to give the money back. I'm just going to give it all back. I'm going to give it, I'm not going to do this. And so then I gave myself out. I said, if by X amount, X time, I don't have anything, I'm going to 
work with a coach. And if that doesn't work, then I'm going to work with, uh, I think it was, I went all the way up to ghostwriting, that I would pay a ghostwriter to write my story. Uh, so I had all these options and all these outs. This is the part of you. And I love this because when your book came out, David, and you would mm -hmm. just talk about it, and I'm bipolar, you said. Right. I, for years as a child, had behaviors that to other people was, were not good. Do you know right. what I mean? Yes. But every report card always said the same thing. She's so creative. She's so this, but she's problematic. Okay, they would always then end with, but she's problematic. Yeah. And my mother would say, she's extremely creative. That was the, see, that was the cover up. Right, yes. My father would say, they want to kick her out of school. <laughs> she's creative. She's <laughs> so when I read your book and I realized again, I had been diagnosed at one point, and this is a fascinating thing. One of the quotes you have from uh, Kay Jamison, mm -hmm. I don't know if I ever told you this, who's a Kay Redford, brilliant. She was my therapist's best friend. Oh, really? How do you like that for another that, connection in our lives? That's amazing. So she can't, when I was in therapy in my 30s, she would come sometimes to Harriet's office. Mm -hmm. And she's, of course, her books are incredible. They are. But Harriet was the one that all of a sudden one day to me, beautiful, she was beautiful. She passed away, unfortunately, but it's beautiful. We're in Century City. It's all very upscale therapy. Do you know what I mean? Right, yes. All very upscale. And my insurance paid for it. I was rich. I was working for a millionaire. It all worked. I dressed nice. I drove a BMW. I mean, it all worked. Right, <laughs> but I right. remember the time she leaned over and said to me, you know, you could almost be on the <clears throat> cusp of hypomania. She said that to you. Yes. And I said, huh? <laughs> and I remember thinking, I don't know what she's talking about. Right. And then she went on to say, you know, think of it very, and she was wonderful. I mean, it was, there's a pendulum. And sometimes the pendulum goes up. And yep. sometimes the pendulum goes down. Yeah. But you very seldom, Denise, are in this, you know, at the straight of the pendulum. Yes. Hmm. Okay. So we worked together. I loved her. She helped a lot. I marry my husband. One night he comes home and he puts on my pillow of the bed, there's this Time magazine that says, are you an adult with ADD? <laughs> really? <laughs> and I picked it up, I said, I beg your pardon? And he said, I don't think you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. And yeah. I was in my early 40s. And then I read the article and I thought, I see the similarities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, but when you're just describing how you got to the process with your book, going all the way to a ghostwriter, Yes. You're solving the problem. Yep. Don't oh, no. Problem. Hypomania is one of the greatest gifts God can give exactly. any human being. Exactly. Because oh, we you're... get a lot done. We're like six people. The only thing is, when everyone leaves the building, you're alone, and it's very, very lonely and depressing when, the, when all six of them leave. It's very hard when that happens. Cindy, and another, Cindy's been with, working with, we worked together for 20 years. We'd always have an intern, David, or someone else that came. Right. I, it took me years to find out that Cindy would be texting <laughs> the newbie saying things like, high energy today. <laughs> <laughs> to work around it. Yeah. Because well, you know, it's interesting. We talk about this because my husband is like, I have a great, great, great therapist now. Uh, she's a, a magnificent therapist. Um, but I'm now learning how inappropriate I was. 
Oh, I mean, I went right into the most intimate details, you know, so how long have you guys been together? Oh, really? How did you meet? And I, that you start out that way. And then you're getting into, well, you're having problems. I mean, really, I, I just, how much money do you guys make a year? How much does the house cost? And I'm thinking I'm asking like just normal questions. And you simply don't ask such things, darling. You don't ask these things. And then the, the dinner parties where I would get up and sing in the middle of the dinner party. You know, yeah, I would do that. Is it inappropriate? Or in fact, were you, which I'm sure you've been called a few times because I heard a few times, the life of the party. The life of the party, exactly. But I remember we would have dinner parties where I would start to say something and no one was hearing me and they were all talking to each other. So like eight or 10 people. And then sometimes, do you know Chicago, the musical yeah. Chicago? Yes. And there's that wonderful song, Cellophane, Mr. Cellophane. And I start singing this very loudly because no one's paying attention to me, looking right through me. And they all look at me and they all laugh and they all continue. And I'm like, how dare you continue talking and not listen to me? So very inappropriate things that I have done. And I, I now am you know, beautifully medicated and I have a great therapist and I'm curbing a lot of those things which is good I so understand this I also see as I have aged David it's I've actually and the therapy certainly helped mm -hmm. I've calmed down a lot that some of the voices there's there's not as much hypomania do you know what I mean right. yes I, I do other things in life mm -hmm. have calmed down mm -hmm. I, I've seen it naturally also being with my husband for 25 years who who was able to gently sometimes say, that's totally inappropriate, bitch, yeah. please don't do that. <laughs> no, I, I, I get that all the time, yes. And I, I think no. to myself, hmm, if he's saying that, maybe it's true. Yes, yeah, it's nice to have someone that you can really trust. And, right. and my, my husband is someone, my shrink is someone, but what's interesting is um, that, oh, I forgot my train of thought, sorry, it'll come back to me, I forgot what I was gonna we say. Also though, David, when you're saying that, I know sometimes, were exhausting to others. Exhausting. Oh my God, exhausting. I mean, honestly, I was the kind of person on a second date, I was moving in. I mean, it was like, we, we have become, we know each other so incredibly well. I'm moving in and basically I've had our astrology charts done. I've had our numerology done and I know exactly what's gonna happen. So I'm moving in. Yeah, it was I, very exhausting. Now, and what's funny about that is that on the second date, I was breaking up with them. <laughs> Oh, over oh, you got to that point. Oh, I know. Oh, that was my fourth date. Okay. See, I was I moved a little quicker on that one. So when you did. You were faster. I was already breaking up with them. So I certainly understand that. Now, so yes. what are you doing? What do you, I know your cookbook won an award. I asked mm -hmm. you once, are you gonna write another cookbook? Right. What are you I know you're still, I mean, you're uh, Notes on a Banana hasn't been translated into several languages. It was translated into Portuguese, which makes sense, of course, being from a Portuguese family. Uh, so it's available in Portugal and Brazil, from what I understand. Oh, wonderful. Uh, it, was, it was an option for a film, but they were looking at it, and then it, nothing ever went with it. That happens all the time. Yes, it uh, sure And I have to say that after having written that, it, it, when I was done, I was so extraordinarily drained creatively. There was nothing oh, left. And on top of it, I was I had Lyme disease for the whole time writing the book and a couple of years even before that. So by the time I was done, there was so little left of me that it took me, I think it took me about a year to write something else. I just I, couldn't, yeah. I couldn't write. 
Um, and so it was very hard. And so as far as like what's happening now, you know, with the website is so incredibly popular right now. And of course, during this whole COVID time, people are baking like, oh my God, and cooking. And it's so wonderful. people have discovered us, which is yeah. wonderful. Um, but but the, the idea of a cookbook, here's what I think. More and more people just go to the internet. They find recipes yes. on the internet. So you know, we try to support writers by featuring the recipes, by testing the recipes, by touting them, yes. and it, which is great. But I just don't know if I want to go through that whole process. If I did it, and we had talked about actually you being the food stylist. If I did it, I think I would actually self-publish. I think I, mean, I would self-publish. Now, I have to tell you, I love hearing you say that. And people have said to me, why don't you write another cookbook? I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, I know. I don't have any interest in it right now whatsoever. Mm -hmm. One or two of my books may be getting a second edition that have been. Oh, that's nice. That's, and we've had one of them or two of them have been in a lot of editions. But you know what? I don't feel that way either, David. I think it totally. Mm -hmm. But if I, the short stories or the memoir that I've been, you know, I've only been working on my memoir for about 20 years. <laughs> sure. So sure. I don't want you, don't rush me. Stop rushing. <laughs> exactly. But I, I can see one of those that I could just self-publish it. Do you know what I mean? Yes, and I, would, I do. Would I only do. do, David, for me. Yes. Because I need to complete it. That's the only reason I say this. It's not for anybody else. Nor, and you know what? This is the other part, because I'm 68. And now this year of this transition, Cindy's been hearing about this year of transition. I'm sure she feels like for the last decade now. <laughs> We've been transitioning. You know, but the other thing is, there is a part of me at 68 that when I look back on all of it, and again, I'm so grateful, I don't have anything to prove anymore. No, no, I completely understand. Oh my gosh. And the thing is, when I think about a cookbook, I ask myself, self, what do you have to offer that's different? I would be doing the same grilled cheeses and the same braises and the same roasts and the same pulled porks basically as everybody else. I know. You know, with my Portuguese book, I felt that I was bringing new things to an audience. Oh, honey. You know, and that's what was great to me, but I don't know what else I can bring. When I, I have your Portuguese cookbook, I bought it, I think before I got to go to Portugal, mm -hmm. read part of it, but since I've been, after I got to go and stayed, mm -hmm. the book is even more valuable to me because I'm able to go back and, and read about recipes yes. of yes. things that I ate, classic things that I ate, mm -hmm. and it's given me even more of an appreciation. Um, no, David I, David, I get it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's just, there, yeah. I'm glad people are discovering, you know, there's part of the quarantine. Of course, it's easy for me to say because I'm not, I haven't. Yes, because your life hasn't changed that much, right. right? Mine either, I, yes. I, I feel terrible for people. I, 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 I grimace when I think of young people that have lost their job or have excessive student loans or anything that they're going yes. through. This is a setback. There is no Oof, doubt about it. No doubt about it. No. And we're looking at a long recovery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But for me, instead of thinking that it's quarantine, every day I think, you know, I can reset that. I could, I could walk for 10 minutes more, or maybe I'll write something that I have no intention of ever telling anything, telling anyone about, and I just right. write it. Yeah, that's so good. I, you know, I'm just trying to really enjoy the time. And because this is exactly, one day I said to Cindy about two years ago, we're going to do podcasts. Right. She said, we are. <laughs> I said, 
And she said, do you know how? I said, no, but you'll learn. <laughs> and sure enough, look at us. So there you go. We do podcasts. That's, see, that's wonderful. See, and what I had to stop, uh, start letting go of is perfectionism. Oh, yes. Our, we, our podcast, Talking With My Mouthful, we started in, I think, 2003 or something like that. And I was paying a fortune for each one. And yes. we were bringing guests into studios in London and in California. And they were gorgeous. And it was created. <laughs> my producer was the one who was part of the creative team who created the Splendid Table. So I loved it. But then I ran out of money. Of course. And then people are like, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And you know, for years and years and years, I said, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. But I became so frightened that it wasn't going to be perfect that I put it off. And then during COVID-19, I said to myself, self, you just got to do this because people want something to listen to. Because we, <laughs> you know, Alan and I, uh, my partner, husband, uh, we did something that we called um, Two Hungry Homos. I saw, no, I watched. I watched. It was <laughs> wonderful. And people were so, were laughing so much and just enjoying that. That's right. That I thought, you know what? We just need to start the podcast. And so we did. And we found a very inexpensive way of doing it. And we're, we're cranking through it. And I'm really delighted that we're getting great guests. And I, I hear things and I'm like, oh, can we change the pop of that P? And oh, can we slide that back a little? And I just go, you know what? Just pull back. Just pull back. Just pull but back. But I spent David. my life in production. I were, when in the olden days where there was, Oh my God, it never ended. There were cappuccino carts for the crew. Do you know what yes, I mean? I yes, mean, I remember that in advertising. Yeah, for me too. Yeah. You know exactly. Yes. Years. And then at first, when I saw all of this happening with technology, I was a snob and thought, oh. Yeah, oh, me too. I wouldn't do it like that. Exactly. <laughs> oh. Exactly. The great ladies of the theater don't use their phone. <laughs> and guess what? There you are. I watched you guys, and it was delightful. Cindy and I have done some Facebook Lives. Thousands yeah. of people watched. The technology has caught up. It and you has. know what, David? But perfectionism is the thing that will hold people back greater than anything in the world. Because the, but I think, perfect, which I suffered from from years, took me years to work on it. Perfectionism turns to procrastination, which is really coming from fear, isn't it? It's all fear-based. It's, I'm not I'm good, enough. good enough. I'm never going to be good enough. People are going to criticize me. That's As opposed right. to just sitting there and going, I need to express what I need to express. Blinders on, eyes at my own paper. I'm going to do what I do. If people like it, great. And that's how I started my writing. And that's where my best writing was. And I won all these awards. And then I started writing to win awards. Yeah. And you know what happened? I stopped winning awards because I was writing to win awards. And, you know, after four awards, that was great, you know, but major awards but then I thought how many more do I need and I'm like I want to write what I want to write I want to write silly funny stuff that makes people laugh that's exactly right that's all I, I care about that's you know what I don't want I would like when I'm dead David I'd like people to say god she made me laugh oh and what? I can tell you they will Darling, because you, when you were up there in that presentation, I was in the front seat to the left uh, 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 the audience I was laughing so much I was crying you I'm were kidding. so freaking funny. And see, to me, I, look, that is how many years ago? That has to be at least about nine years ago. Because Renee has been with me 10 years, and wow. that was the first year. Okay. I still remember what the room looked like. I still remember you up there. I still remember thinking, I just got to meet this woman. I just, you were fantastic. I think, David, 
I think there's many reasons that we all find a, we have to seek a level of joy. That's yes. what I think of it. Yes. And so, you know, when people said, do you miss work and stuff? I said, no, I miss Cindy because mm. Cindy was the fun part of work that she came and we had lunch together and we could laugh about how ridiculous things are. Mm -hmm. But I think that you have to decide to seek. I really, I always think this, seek your own level of joy. And if mm -hmm. your level of joy is writing things that other people laugh at. And also I have a dear friend who's a brilliant writer and he says to me sometimes, what are, why are you being your own critic? Like there's not enough hall monitors out there that are going to criticize Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Absolutely. He said, what is all this stuff? He says, what do you give a shit? And then, yeah, of course, it's true. Well, I haven't about most of my life. <laughs> <laughs> why about this? And you know, the thing about writing, especially with food writing, there are so many ways to go. And while I, I don't do it. There's, there's that sort of fetishizing food and, 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 yes. you know, that's just not me. I don't do that. I don't, you know, I, I, that's just, not, I don't even enjoy eating food like that. I agree. And I just like eating plain old good, wholesome, you know, uh, home cooking, whatever it is, any kind of international cooking, but I like it in the home. And that's what I write. I want to write about. Cause I had said in an interview a long time ago, it really ends up not being about the food. It ends up being around, being about the conversation that happens around the table of that food. That's Bingo. what it is. Bingo. And you remember the people I can remember the eggplant Parmesan mm -hmm. that I ate when I got engaged the first time. Mm -hmm. And I make that eggplant parmesan, and yet, and that the diamond was terribly small. But I don't remember. <laughs> but I hardly can remember my first husband. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I do. Yes, I so do. Isn't I, that amazing? It's the story you you said it. The story you tell around the food is brilliant. yes. All right, thank you. You have to come back. I would love to. This is even though I am not a woman beyond a certain age, I am certainly getting to be on a certain age. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. But you are an honorary member. Well, thank you. Thank you. And of course, there are women in our group that do have better beards than you, but they don't <laughs> well, thank I you am, so much. I'm for honored. You. Thank you. It's Bad a pleasure. Time. All right, well, darling. Well, love you. Thank you. Love you too. If anyone wants to reach out to David. David's information is going to be on womenbeyondacertainage.com, our website. You can always go to our very active Facebook group called Women Beyond a Certain Age. And we will be posting um, more things about David and where to buy his book. And thank you so much, everyone. Thank you, Miss Cindy, for, as always. Thank you, David. Take care. Bye. All right, my dear, both of you, thank you so much for having me on. I loved this. I told you he would be fabulous.